Okay. We are live. Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett is trending. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't want to say that I called it, but I certainly, I drew attention to that story a little, a little bit ahead of time. Maybe I gotta, (laughs) I gotta take credit where I can get it. Had an extra sensory perception about that whole situation. About which one that, that her story was going to be a BS. Uh, No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I, I just presume that so much is BS with, I mean, all of them, but you know, just just the fact that, just the fact that, like, I was having this actual moment, you know, for a second when I when I saw her tweet anything regarding, um, you know, that that the Wall Street stuff, and I'm sure that her solution, whatever she was going to propose for a solution, was just going to be terrible. But just the just the fact that it, you know, looked like looked like we almost maybe could have agreed on something for just like half a second, um. You know, and just my, my fuzzy feeling went away the second that I went to her Twitter um, <laughs> and saw her just pull the rug from under Ted Cruz. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, just it's just a reminder, you know. There really is just such an instinct towards power, um, you know, with that whole little set right there. That you the just, squad. You just have to admire Absolutely. No kidding. Okay, so I'm going to give it a minute here, get some people in here. And my plan was to come up and spend the last, like, 30 minutes or so before we went live reviewing some of the stuff that we were going to talk about. And then everything, as it always does, everything took longer than I expected it to. And so I didn't review anything. So we're just going to go off the dome. Mm. But uh, so the the different subjects that I posted that uh, that we were going to talk about today. Let me open these up here. Actual. What's that? Up uh, I suppose. You're breaking up so, a little bit. My my brain is pretty toasty right now. Oh, your brain is toasty it's from being in a hazmat hazmat suit all day. Yeah, because I live in progressive hell. I live in some circle. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Are, are we are we still just kind of killing time while while people populate? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm teaching my classes because you know I feel that uh, it's what I, kind of what I should be doing. Um, you know, and just gives people a little bit of humanity or or whatever. Um, but <laughs> like I've received, I had a, a letter from OSHA waiting for me at the studio that I rent. Like in addition to the eight that were sent to my house. And by the way, all all of the letters uh, basically say something along the lines of, uh, yeah, we got a complaint about your business from people who clearly don't know what OSHA is or does, but we're writing you to let you know, <laughs> just to let you know that, you know, you should, you should do stuff, I guess. Uh, thanks. Bye, OSHA. And it's really, not, so it's not the, it's not, it's not the actual impact of, of the letters or anything like that. It's just pe- the fact that people's energy is able to be allocated to that when it's just like, you know, there's a lot of stray pets. You know, if you picked one up, you'd be making such a difference, at least to one thing, as opposed to the nothing that you're doing by complaining to me with OSHA. I don't know. 
but these people are these people are are um they can't help themselves they're as we were talking about last night these people are just following their lizard brain they aren't they they (laughs) fancy themselves enlightened and uh rational and tolerant that's the that's going to be the word for tonight tolerant but they uh they they're really just uh they're, they're just following their programming they've been they've been conditioned to to think and act and and behave in a certain way and in their minds i think really that it's it's kind of a descendant of the of the christian impulse to impulse of like works like salvation by works that they're in the process of creating the utopia on earth creating heaven on earth and in order to do that you have to eliminate all of the bad people and it just so happens that the more uh, acts that you take personally to eliminate the bad people, like it helps get rid of the bad people, but it also is like a feather in your cap. It's a, it's a, uh, it's sure. evidence of your virtue, and that's a, that's a, uh, that's a big thing for these people. Well, Matthew, um, yeah. if I may call you, if I may call you Matthew, you may. I've I've always had a question, and that's that's. Uh, I would actually enjoy bringing the kingdom of heaven um, on earth myself. But anything that I want to do in order to facilitate that, you know, mine that's kind of based off of, like, you know, God, like a God substitute of, of some kind. Anytime that I try to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, I get yelled at. Do you have any insight onto why that might be? Well, yeah, because you are you're breaking the rules. You don't oh. you don't have cultural power. You don't get to you don't get to enforce your will on society. Damn it! You have to follow I the rules. Shit. If you want to, then you have to just you have to you have to change your definition of what the kingdom of heaven is. Oh, well, that right, would kind of undermine my whole thing. But yeah, right, right, that. right. So we've been going here about five minutes now. We got some people in here, so so we'll go ahead and, and and kick things off here. So welcome back, folks. You guys are watching King Pilled, and that guy there hiding behind the picture of a, uh, of a of a guy in a hazmat suit. The the guy hiding behind it and the guy in the hazmat suit that is Stephen Messina, <laughs> and uh, Hello. he is the he is the esteemed other host on here. And my name is Matthew yes. Erickson, and. Tonight we are going to I, the, the, I titled the show I can't remember exactly what I said it was something like uh, like left wing hypocrisy is a feature not a bug. The reason I did that was because this is a it's a very common thing especially lately to have the uh, the left so to speak engage in rank hypocrisy and double standard and right wingers whether they're you know conservatives or you know, libertarians or whatever they want to consider themselves, they 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 like to occupy their time by sharing around pictures and quotes and videos and whatever of these people engaged in hypocrisy, and then they they'll kind of pat themselves on the back as if they've accomplished something. They're like it's kind of like they think that if they point out enough times that these people are being hypocrites that magically it's going to solve some problems or something like that. And and I want to make the case tonight that not only do these people not care that they're being hypocrites, but they actually are, are explicitly conditioned to be hypocrites because they benefit from being hypocrites. 
And uh, so I want, I want, I'm going to make the case of that tonight. But so uh, if, uh, go ahead and, and like the, the channel here and share this video. If you like this video and, and, and subscribe to the channel and share this video, if you would, because we're, we're trying to grow this show because I've got I think we have a, a fairly unique message here that most people from from all sides of the aisle, most people don't really think about this stuff or look at the world in this way necessarily. It's a kind of a very small group of us that are. You know, we're, we're kind of putting together some ideas from a very like kind of a disparate group of thinkers. And I think we're right at that right on the cusp of sort of a new awakening and a new a new realization of how the world works. And so here we, we talk. We're going to end up talking. We'll talk politics. We'll talk philosophy. We'll talk religion. We'll talk science. We'll, we'll kind of talk a whole a whole wide range of stuff. Um, I've been realizing our last several episodes, it seems sort of like our shtick is is shitting all over conservatives and libertarians for being naive and and allowing them like like perpetually playing into the hands of of people who who would be who who just don't want to see them don't want them to exist and they would be fine if they were dead it doesn't really make any difference to them somehow they think that that like I said, they think that this like, oh, OK, I'll, I'll just point out that they're being hypocrites. And then, you know, it's like it's like they like conservatives and libertarians think that their job is to try to is to try to persuade enough people that the left is hypocritical and corrupt. And, um, you know, they don't understand how the world works. And if they just persuade enough people in that way, then, um, you know, somehow all like something, something good will happen. I don't I don't know how they how they foresee that happening. And I don't know how they don't recognize a pattern when they see it that this does not just, just doesn't ever happen. No amount of pointing out the hypocrisy or the double standard with the left. Yeah, the media is biased. It, there's like no amount of pointing it out seems to change anything. In fact, they are getting more and more biased and more and more brazen about their bias. And so I guess the question would be, why is that? What's how are how are they able to do that and why are they doing it? And obviously, if they're doing it in there and they're doing it more, just uh, like playing uh, put two and two together, it's obviously a benefit from it. So why do they benefit from it? Benefit from it and how? So that's kind of one of the things I want to get into tonight. And then a couple other topics we're going to hit is it, it's kind of an illustration of this in a sense and and a, and a broader discussion on like the goals and the nature of the left. So the first topic was was AOC versus Michael Tracy. So for those of you guys who don't know exactly what's going on there, uh, it's, it's a thing that you are kind of aware of if you're a, a very online person or very much on Twitter person, which is I've, I've mentioned other places really that Twitter is where it, Twitter is essentially the government to like all of American society descends from Twitter. And if you aren't on Twitter, you don't realize that, and that'll sound insane to you. But Twitter is where everything happens. Twitter is where where the news, quote unquote, happens. Twitter is where uh, news stories are are planted, where they're seeded, where responses are organized, and it's where the whole conversation happens. And ultimately, after a couple of days, it might make it to Facebook, and then you know, like a journalist will, will encounter a story, and the first thing they'll do is they'll tweet about it. And then they'll go sit down and they'll write the article and the article will get posted online and then uh, a, a cable news network will pick it up and talk about it. But it happens first on Twitter. So Twitter is where everything's happening. And there's this technique that they'll use. This is it's, it's, it's crazy. It's been crazy watching this happen after being on Twitter for, I don't know, something like 12 or 13 years. I've watched this happen so many times. You'll see these articles where 
either in the headline or in the body of the article, they'll 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 say something uh, vague, kind of like people are saying or um, so and so responds to attacks or whatever, and it kind of vaguely alludes to this idea of of a bunch of people who are saying or believing a certain thing. And then as you kind of wade down through the article, you might find, oh, okay, well, they're talking about this as a thing that happened on Twitter. And if you go link, if you click the links to these these people who are saying this, you'll find that it's like someone with an egg avatar and 27 followers. And like nobody else said it. There was a ha small handful of nobody people or nobody anonymous accounts that said this thing. And like replying to some blue checkmark celebrity with millions of followers and yet it will be framed as this is a backlash or this is this is the, the voice of the this is like the people who are saying this. You know, all the plebs that are or all the, the ignorant um, right wingers who don't know what they're talking about. This is it'll be framed as like this is the response like this. This small no name account will be treated as if it's like an entire wing of society. And they'll and, and so the journalists will will have a, a breathless response to it. And then that'll become a trending issue. And so everyone else will start talking about it. all the blue checks will start talking about it and they'll fashion in their minds this imaginary group of like hundreds of thousands or even millions of people who are all saying and, and believing the same thing as this anonymous, you know, egg avatar account. And that and then that's how news happens. That becomes the news story. And ultimately what will happen is the media talks about it enough. The blue checks bandy it about. And eventually politicians will jump in the fray and they'll say, OK, well, this such this thing here means that we need to have such and such a policy. We need to create this commission or that commission or whatever. And so what you could see if you think about this for a minute is there's a very, very easy way to to manipulate this process, to weaponize this process by doing what's called astroturfing, where you you give the impression of a, of a grassroots campaign. So this I, I know for a fact that this happens, that lots of of journalists and even politicians have either their own anonymous accounts or they are, like employ people who have these anonymous accounts that go out and pretend to be other people, anonymous people who, who say stuff, who start, who start the conversation and then they take it and they run from it from there. And so then you'll get the big corporate accounts that will, sometimes you'll get a big corporate account that'll reply to a nobody and, and they'll dunk on them and that thing will go viral and then everyone will talk about it. This is so this is how it's treated as if this process is organic, but it's entirely manufactured. It's entirely created. And anybody who's not plugged into this process sees this as just kind of this is the normal workings of society. This is just sort of how it how it goes, just sort of how it works. And they don't realize the extent to which they're being um, conditioned and manipulated and, and, and played ultimately. So anyway, so last night. I was it last no, it was night before I don't remember. Within the last couple of nights, AOC went on. She's first of all, I gotta say that the woman is is a absolutely brilliant manipulator. She's fantastic at manipulating people. So she goes and she does this live stream, which is kind of her thing. Like she's the politician who does live streams and connects directly to the people. And in this live stream, she describes what, what she went through in the course of the Capitol Hill uh, events. And she's very, very dramatic, very breathless, um, as she is wont to be. And she, well, first of all, she, re she, she revealed, she, she broke big news here that she's a, she's a victim of sexual assault. Uh, and so there's a, there's a distinct purpose for, for leading off with that because it's, uh, it, 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 it immediately puts her as a sympathetic figure. So everyone's, oh, oh, no, oh, this is great. Okay, so that sets the context. That's the framing. If you listen to the last couple episodes of Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton, the other show that I co-host, 
we've been talking about context and framing and that if you control people's framing, you control how they how they see and how they think about issues. So she she frames it within that context. So now she's not one of the most powerful people in the world, one of the most influential people who's an, an elected official who sits on multiple different committees and and has like wildly more power than that just like then basically anybody else who was at the Capitol on January 6th. No, now she's actually uh, a victim. She's someone who's been a victim of sexual assault in the past, um, which which gives her within in this oppression Olympics worldview, this this um, worldview that focuses on oppression. This gives her status. Uh, so it's this bizarre convoluted thing where she like she has actual status, but she pretends that she doesn't have status which then gives her status. So anyways, that's how she that's how she 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 frames the whole thing. And then she describes how uh, she was so happy about the Democrats, um, the Democrat senators who um, were elected in, uh, in in Georgia. And she was I can't remember what she said. She was listening to some song and she's she's like dancing to it and she's all happy and celebrating in her office. And then uh, she hears she starts hearing like loud noises and explosions or something and like people banging on doors or I don't, I don't know exactly what she said. But basically, she hears the, the riot starting and she goes through this very elaborate process of, of describing how first she went and hid uh, like in a bathroom. And then she was like, oh, I should have hid in the closet. And then she eventually escaped her office and ran to and stayed. So, so she's in her, her into the bathroom and, you know, she she says she talks about how that someone busted in and she heard him saying, where is she? Where is she? And she's describing herself. She's up like and like pantomiming this in front of the in front of the, the camera, how she's hiding up against the door and the door swings open and she's looking through the crack. And the um, she's like, oh, she's like wondering if she's going to survive. She's wondering if she's, you know, she's just going to die here. And then and and she's she talks about how she's so happy that she, um, you know, if she if she did, if it was her time to go, she would she would be happy that she um, had accomplished her purpose or something to that effect. And it turns out that this this uh, potential assailant that she was so afraid of was a Capitol Hill police officer. And she so so. Really, what it was here was that AOC was a victim of being rescued by police. And um, we're supposed to feel sorry for her because she was rescued by police. But her so her 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 thing was that she said, you know, we do we can't uh, I, you know, he didn't didn't announce himself. And was he actually there to save me or was was he secretly trying to trying to scare me? Did he want to did he want to uh, to, to create a, a fearful situation and make me fear for my life? And and, you know, because we know that there were people who were on the inside that had infiltrated and uh, in this potential in this in this attempted insurrection in this coup. And so, you know, you know, we obviously people of color like us, we have a, this uh, this bad relationship with the police and, and uh, you know, all this whole stuff. You, you if you are remotely familiar with these people, you can kind of fill in the blanks. And so eventually she goes over to um, I'm forgetting now the, the name of the other uh, the other congresswoman. But she went over and and and, and sat in her in her office and, and had to like detox from the, the stress and the, the fear and everything of it all. And uh, and she talked about how like this other congresswoman has uh, has children. Katie Porter is her name. She has children. And, and, and AOC talked about how. Um, how she had been wondering that that day if she was ever going to be able to have children, you know, if that was just not going to be an option for her. And so it's just this very just breathless, elaborate, dramatic story. And so and she and she says the reason why she didn't tell this story before 
was because um, she's dealing with trauma. She's coping with it and she has to process it uh, before she can start talking about it. That's why it took her a month to come up with this story. Um, it's interesting that this story happened just in the middle of this whole GameStop thing where Wall Street is getting completely pantsed and everyone in the world is talking about how corrupt Wall Street is and how uh, the whole financial institutions are all ganging up to, to crush the little guy. All of this was the main trending story. And now it's not. Somehow that, that, that story got, got basically killed. Uh, so it's kind of very convenient timing for, for this, for AOC's live stream here. You might wonder if maybe she got a phone call from someone that said, hey, you should go do a live stream. So Michael Tracy, who is a, uh, he's, I guess what you might call a red-pilled leftist, and he's sort of red-pilled. He's, as, as leftists go, he's, he's fairly red-pilled. And he just tweeted something to the effect of, uh, like when you have these, uh, like a, a, a member of the ruling class or, you know, some, some politician, one of our rulers, um, we're supposed to just take them seriously and, uh, we're, we're supposed to like listen to their story and grant them extra, um, consideration just because they claim to be a victim of trauma. He was just kind of like, like whatever she thinks she's a victim of trauma that makes her special. And he got absolutely dragged across Twitter. Everyone, Marianne Williamson was in his mentions. All kinds of people were going after him for this, and and they're trying to get his Twitter account deleted. They're they're going after him, trying to, they're doing whatever they can to try to to try to get him to try to take him down. And so my takeaway as I was thinking about this was, you know, I don't know if her story is true. Like of all the parts of her story, I don't know how much of it is true. And uh, apparently, news broke today that she was not in she was not in the Capitol when it happened. Now I don't know if she actually claimed that she was in the Capitol building. She talked about being in her office and her office isn't in the Capitol building, but I assume that she's trying to capitalize on the fact that nobody knows the layout. They don't realize how spread out that, that I guess the, the campus for lack of a better word, how spread out it is. And she was quite a ways away from the Capitol building where everything was happening. Now, there were some buildings there that had like, they had bomb threats in them and the whole thing that had been locked down at one point was evacuated. And, uh, so people are, are treating this as if this just completely undoes her story. And I don't know for sure if it actually does. I mean, I think it, if anything, it proves that she was never in any sort of danger. And so she, if she, if her story was true, she, then she was just hyperventilating over nothing. It's, that to me is really neither here nor there. What's, what's really stands out to me about this is imagine we're, we're in a situation where we have no idea whether or not she's true, whether, whether or not her story is true, whether or not she's telling the truth. And if she's not telling the truth, imagine what she can accomplish with this now. Now, she can go after all of her. She's, she's got this story. She's got, so, so, so human beings are, are um, really susceptible to stories. They're very easily, we're, we're emotional beings and we get manipulated, we get sucked in and we, we get manipulated and, and, and trained by the stories that we listen to, by the stories people tell us. And now she has a story that frames her as the ultimate victim in a society that gives the highest of status to victims, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in a little bit. And she has, she, basically, she has the ultimate political capital tool that can be used to, so, so now all of these people, all of these, you know, you know, rioters or whatever you want to call them that are being framed as domestic terrorists, now they are also attempted rapists in the minds of 
you know, of, of anybody, you know, cause that's, that's the framing that she's created. She's created this frame where these people are now attempted rapists and she experiences personal trauma that gives her the justification to go on the war path and to pursue any sort of, of, of political solution for, you know, any sort of final solution for her, her opponents. And there's very little that anyone can do or say against her because she can always pull her trump card that she's a victim of sexual assault. You can't deny her story. This is what happened to her. Her lived experience is all that matters. And uh, if you try to deny that, then you're just defending terrorism. This is she's she's laid the groundwork for this, irrespective of the actual truth of her story. And I think people should appreciate how potentially dangerous this is that she has uh she she is in a, in a position to really uh, sow uh, a, a pretty wild crop that she can she can reap a, a bountiful harvest of of uh, you know a, oppressive policy from. So and and there's the, the other aspect of that story too is the the instant coordinated response going after Michael Tracy who really said something pretty pretty innocuous it wasn't even like. It wasn't that like, obviously, he's he's basically saying that he doubts her story. And, you know, of course, that's a, just a big no, no. You can never doubt a woman's story, um, especially if she's like talking about being in fear. That just doesn't fly in society now. But this immediate coordinated response by by everyone who wields any sort of sway on Twitter, they all focus their ire on one guy and he trends his name trends immediately. And everyone is going after him. This is the mentality of these people. These people are out to destroy anyone who challenges their view of the world. That's their their stated goal is that they will destroy and dismantle all of the oppressive institutions that uphold the current society. And that's so that was that was a good example of that to me that I it, there was kind of multiple lessons you could draw from that story. Um, so that was the first one that I wanted to talk about today. Stephen, did you have anything you wanted to say about it? Well, Matthew, and I'm not even going to ask if I can call you Matthew now, as a person of color during spring and summer and um, early fall, <laughs> and as a sexual abuse survivor, even though I was pretty into it at the time, um, <laughs> I do not appreciate you insinuating that women hyperventilate over nothing, and I demand that I am not called the other host uh, of the show. I want you to be the other host of the show. Do, do you see what I did? I'm now a power hungry megalomaniac. You otherize me. Shtick. I did. I, and I don't want, I, I want, I absolutely want to be the other host. But I you just otherized be other me because I otherized you. That's true. Yeah. I, I can barely there. keep up. I, I just, I just know that I'm power hungry. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm going to figure out how to do that so hard. Over the course of the next uh, few months, probably, maybe. Um, yeah. Stephen is going I mean, to like, master it, it, leftism. Yeah, I, I honestly, uh, I used to have a. Uh, I would have to fall back into it. I had, uh, I had a, a sort of a, a character I would fall into. It was uh, liberal Steve, and it was, uh, it was, it was just a, <laughs> it was just a shitty white college kid who was shamely, shamelessly trying to just to try to get black girls. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of me, but no, I, no, really. It was like, uh, it was, it was me after I was in college. Um, no, but it was, it was a character. It was a character. It, it was really, really fun. I would have to, 
practice to get back into it, but it was just blatant pandering. Creepy um, Steve. Liberal Steve. Liberal Steve. Liberal Steve. Okay. I don't. Maybe you liberal have to be Steve. Stevie. Do you have to be Stevie? Uh, well, you have creepier. to. You have to. You have to wear a dashiki, and you have to um, just. Uh, it, you have to sort of apologetically sort of just explain that just like yeah you know just like i took this african drumming class and like it was actually given to me by an elder so it would actually be disrespectful not to wear it even though i kind of hate myself because i think it's appropriation but it's just such an honor you know yeah and just like stuff like that but like in like sort of a breathy uh breathy asshole uh, type tone oh it was it was really an, i i hated myself when i did it but it was so fun because other people uh, hated it more than i did i just uh, i i think you know when 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 you kind of hear about like oh AO, aoc is uh you know she wasn't at the capitol <laughs> she's finished now um i think that i think that our whole thing is like the the, the anecdote to to that kind of like thinking or um, you know, if you hear, you know, if, if, if you, if you see like a story and you're like, oh, uh, it says here that AOC might not get her seat in the house back. Uh, you know, it's like, well, good thing we don't have to deal with her anymore. It's like, man, if, if you think that that is anywhere in like the galaxy of being close to true, it's like, you're going to have to deal with that woman for your entire life. You know what I mean? She's it's, it's not kind of like Nancy Pelosi was going to lose her speakership. Right, right, right. It's like, but even if, even if, even if AOC like doesn't, I don't know. Like, let's say she loses her, whatever. She's going to be. She just has an instinct that she's whatever power she has gotten for herself. Um, you know, during these past few years, she's going to turn it into something else. Like, if if you, you could put someone like that in pretty much any position uh, in any industry or, or whatever, she would find a way to just be like a political nightmare for you. Um, she's not going anywhere. She's going to, she's going to like claw her way to the top of whatever little uh, power structure that she needs to, in order to, you know, do her thing. Like she's great at it. Like you're going to deal with her your whole life. Probably. She's like the perfect embodiment of the demonic feminine energy. Right. Yeah. 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 That. That. Yeah. Like all the all the things that get um associated with uh you know on the flip side of the masculine or the feminine um all of the negative things that are associated with that that like if you start talking about it uh eighty eight percent of girls will just be like. Well, why does that have to be set? Like all those things. <laughs> that's that's what she. Yeah, that's that's Bas- her, that's her, her whole embodiment. Basically, everything that got Jordan Peterson in trouble, which is my segue into the next the next topic about. Uh, so there's so Jordan Peterson is back in the news again. Jordan and Michaela, his daughter. Did you read? Did you see watch that video that I sent you, or read the piece about him at all? I want to get an idea of what was going on. I'm interested to hear your thoughts as to the why. Okay, so so what happened here is, is for anybody who doesn't know, Jordan Peterson has been going through one hell of an experience for the last couple of years, the last, the last year and a half or so. And he, uh, 
so he built up built up this this career. He's doing this tour. He has his book. He's got you know he's getting seventy thousand dollars a month on Patreon or whatever. And like every media organization in the world is looking for the silver bullet to take him out. He's doing like he's getting like hit piece after hit piece after after uh you know uh, what do they call it like a the, the uh, I can't even think of the name. When people do an interview where they're trying to entrap you and they're trying to they're trying to, to bait you into saying something and so they can pounce on you. He's getting like these all over the place. So the dude is like living like probably one of the most stressful lives of anyone in the world. And he's, he's a great illustration of how being rich and famous often is much more of a burden than being poor and infamous or poor and not famous. You don't want to be poor and infamous. That's the worst of all. So he, uh, at, at the kind of the height of all of this, he was for anyone who doesn't know about his daughter, Michaela, she had like a crazy autoimmune condition. Um, when she was 17, she had to have like she had to have an ankle and a hip or something like that replaced because they basically just disintegrated. She had 30 something joints that were all affected by this juvenile onset rheumatoid arthritis that had her in just cr- constant chronic agony and on all kinds of medications and super depressed and anxious. And she basically didn't expect to live to be 30 something. I think I just lost Steven. Give me just a second here, guys, as I try to get Steven back. Okay. There is Steven. Man, did I go away or did you, or did you go away? You went away. Damn it. Sorry for (laughs) going away, everybody. I'm sure that I'm sure that. Um, let me guess. Nah, nah, I'm not. I'm not, not going to do it. I'm not going to. I was going to do a thing about Michaela, and I'm not going to. <laughs> Just pretend I was going to do the thing that everyone knew about where you know where it's going. <laughs> he didn't do the thing, folks. He thought he was going to, but yeah. then he didn't. Um, nah. Okay, so anyways, so so Michaela is is going through um, all these health problems and everything. They're all autoimmune, and giving her all kinds of, of um, anxiety and depression and all this. So throughout, out, throughout all of that, she stumbled upon a, a diet. She started realizing that a lot of it was diet-related, and she started doing an elimination diet, cutting a bunch of stuff out, and, and wound up eventually at what she calls the lion diet, but it's basically, basically just carnivore. She, uh, I think all she eats is beef, salt, and water, and she's basically cured all of her issues. And so she's raising her little girl eating the same diet, and when Jordan started having a lot of these issues, she um, got him to try it. And he, she even got her mom to try it. And they had the resolution of a lot of their issues. So when when Jordan started eating, um, he didn't go full carnivore, but he was eating something like really strict keto. And it got rid of like his snoring, his his heartburn, his anxiety, depression, like all kinds of stuff. And he was like operating at peak performance. Then her mom was diagnosed with right at right at the, the the height of all of this stress and all this this book tour and everything that he's doing. Uh, his wife, her mom, was diagnosed with a really rare form of kidney cancer that uh, the the doctors knew very little about and that affected that had like a, a hundred like a basically a hundred percent one year fatality rate, and so it was essentially a death sentence. And so they were going through all kinds of different surgeries for her and basically sleeping in ERs. And it was he was under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. And so his doctor prescribed him benzos to deal with it. And he started taking these benzos and uh, and had an allergic reaction to them, in, in essence. And the 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 consequences or the, the symptoms of his reaction 
were basically the same as the symptoms of the stress that was that prompted him to take the benzos in the first place. So it took a little bit to fix. So he got his like his dosage upped before they realized that it was the benzos that was that were causing it. And so then he started trying to taper it off. And then he had a, a like a rare reaction to trying to taper off of it that um, is called akathisia, which is a, like a movement disorder. And it basically feels like like ants under your skin or something. It's like you can't sit still and you're like itching and burning and like really uncomfortable all over. And then ultimately it, it like it drives a lot of people to suicide because it basically makes them insane. And so this was the this was the what he was going through. So he he got on these 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 benzos and increasing his dose and decreasing his dose basically had the same effect. So he was kind of screwed. He went through like all the different uh all the medical profession in North America, like talked to like every single specialist, essentially. And none of the, basically all of them just wanted to prescribe him more drugs. And then finally, one of them wanted to do, um, wanted to start zapping his brain, do ECT. And at that point he was like, we're not doing this anymore. So they, his, his family, he was, they basically accepted that if, if this continued, he was going to die. And uh, in the meantime, his wife had a fairly miraculous recovery and she's fully healthy now. But they wound up taking him to Russia, to Moscow, to a clinic there that would do a detox, that were willing to actually deal with the issues he was having, and they would, they would detox him. Um, to do so, they had to put him into a medical induced, medically induced coma. And, and so then it was basically just, just like weeks and weeks and weeks of, of torment and in and out and, and back and forth, and, and it's going through all kinds of stuff. And finally, when he was kind of starting to pull through, um, they took him to another clinic a neurological clinic in uh, Serbia. And while he was there, he also contracted COVID-19. So through, through the course of all of this, he's been, he's, you know, he basically, Oh my God, he got COVID. He got COVID. <laughs> I, I just, I, I love, I love the, just the laundry list of just crazy medical problems and cancer. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, was, I also love uh, LA Matt calling him Benzos. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. Uh, no, I know. Isn't it benzodiazepine? Benzodiazepine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Try to act like a like a professional drug addict, would you? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I just wanted to. I just wanted to jump and act very surprised that you know to ask him after. Ask if he was okay, you know, having <laughs> had, had COVID. Well, you know, Sorry, getting I'm, COVID I'm, is very, very bad. Actually, of, yeah, of I, all the people in the world who could get it, him and his condition probably actually could have done some harm. But um, I, he pulled through and he's what? fine. What's you that? Know, I, I actually would like to issue an apology <laughs> to the world. How dare you play it down? Because really, yep, yep. I know there there will be no there will be no levity in the show anymore after this. Let's get back to uh, let's get back to Mr. Peterson. Dr. You're a very bad liberal, Steve. So. So he, uh, he, he's fine now at this point. He's recovering and he's kind of starting to come back out again. So, of course, the media, now that he's, he's about to drop this new book, uh, Beyond Order, uh, which I can't wait to read. And so basically, okay, it's time for a hit piece. They had the decency, I guess, at least to wait while he was going through all this and not go after him then. But maybe it's just because they couldn't get him, a, get a hold of him for an interview. So the Sunday Times in the UK hit him up and, um, they, they approached him with the idea of an interview. Where they basically uh, they they were very very uh, kind and 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 magnanimous and talking about how you know we don't do drive by journalism we don't do flashy headlines we do deep dives we tell the whole story 
Um, you know, you've been through a lot and we want to share it with other people and we want to make sure the world hears your story, yada, 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 yada. That's how they, that's how they presented it. And it was just a freaking hatchet job. It was, it was staggering how, uh, just shamelessly cruel and demeaning and, and, and like the, it was a fantastic example of the way that of Mike, that Michael Malice says that the corporate press is factual but not truthful. They had factual there was factual errors in the piece, but but a lot of it was like technically true, but it was the way that they set it up and framed it. They went they spent a lot of the time on Michaela and they went after her personally. Um, they said that she looks like a President Trump spokesperson spokeswoman. <laughs> that she's like a, a pouty Barbie blonde who looks like a President Trump spokeswoman. And they also said that that right I, after. I mean, the, well, can they stop trying to turn me on? Jesus. <laughs> right after they finish, she finishes describing the way that, that, that Jordan broke down crying, talking about the people who would come up to him and just randomly talk to him on the street and say, and like, thank him for his influence on their life. They, right after she finishes describing that, she, she compares him to Trump and says that he was a victim of toxic masculinity and that he's, they're the same because they're both, um, emotionally closed off men hunkered down with their closest people or something like that. I was like, it just, like the, the whole thing was completely deranged. So if you want to know the whole story, um, you could, I mean, you can just Google Sunday Times Jordan Peterson and read the piece and you can go to, uh, go to Michaela Peterson's YouTube channel and she does a, like a response where she reads through some of the worst parts of it, tells her side of the story and then actually even plays the recording of the conversation because they were, they were smart. They recorded their whole end of it. So you can see the comparison between the two. So anyway, so this, the reason I tell this whole story is just because this is another illustration of the, the nature of these people. And so, so someone will look at this story and they'll talk about, they might say like a, like a conservative, someone presumably will look at this story and their, they'll, they'll, their takeaway from it will be something like, um, you know, how horrible, how awful. I just can't believe that the press would do something like this. And, and that this is, you know, this is why we, you know, you can't listen to the press or, you know, so they'll, they'll kind of just have, they, they won't fully grasp the, 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 the magnitude or, or what's happening here. And they'll say, oh, they're just biased. You know, they're, you know, they're the, the worst of the people will be, they'd say, oh, they're just biased. You know, they just have their, their thing and they just see the world differently and whatever. But this is another example of the way that, the the press is being used very deliberately to to seed narratives and right now the world is primed for so so Trump has been kind of like the like the lightning rod for all the controversy and for all the right-wing energy in the room and with him like out of the way and not really making headlines right now the press is floundering for a new story. They're floundering for they're, they're they're trying to pull stuff together and they're trying to create. They're trying to cobble together a new villain to focus everyone's energies on because they've 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 inculcated this this like rabid band of followers who wake up every morning like thinking of themselves as like charging a machine gun nest and they stick these people on ordinary people. Like they just dox a random guy because he's right wing and this whole mob will go attack him thinking that they're saving the world. And that now they've got all of these people, but they don't have anything to sick them on. So enter Jordan Peterson. His new book is coming out. His new book is, so his first one was, was, uh, was 12 rules for life. 
Um, and it was, uh, and the second one is going to be, it's called, I think it's, I just kind of blanked on, it. I think it's beyond order. I think, or I can't remember exactly the name of it, but, um, yeah, beyond, yeah, I think, I think that's what it is. And what, what's interesting is just like, yeah, I almost want to make the case that it's just like a dog whistle for fascism. So I can't, I cannot wait to see what the press starts to do with a book called beyond order or whatever it's called. Yes. It's going to be a, uh, yeah, it's beyond order because the first one was uh, 12 rules for life and the antidote to chaos. So obviously you have this, this, uh, this binary, the order chaos thing, which is, which is kind of, which is the fundamental, uh, like uh, bifurcation or whatever between left and right, between masculine and feminine. And all these things all split up on order and chaos ultimately. So, so really they're, they're, they're coming out ahead of time because Jordan is about to build up a lot of energy and he's about to draw a lot of, of, of eyeballs and a lot of focus and a lot of, of uh, a lot of people are going to coalesce around him as he starts to do media, a uh, media circuit around this, which is kind of funny because compared to some of the, like the right wing rhetoric or whatever that's out there right now, he's a, about as, as kind of, I don't want to say boring. It's not boring so much. He's very, he's very safe. He's very tame. He's not going to he's not going to say anything radical. He's not going to introduce anything like you know, he's not like mold bug out there. He's not going to be dropping uh you know the crazy right-wing talking points. He's just going to be kind of talking about basically how to lead an an ordinary life and not get caught up in insane people. But right now that's too insane. That that's too um, too threatening to the left because they've gone so far. So they have to get out in front and they have to take, they have to um, preemptively take him down. And I, I just want people to see this for what it is, that this isn't an accident, that this is an intentional targeted um, attempt at, uh, at destroying the man before he can make it back up off the, off of his, his sick bed, you know, because the guy is genuinely very powerful because his, like we talked about in the last episode, what we're dealing with is a spiritual problem and he has a spiritual solution. He's talking about a spiritual solution and he's preaching a message that tame though it is, is ultimately incredibly powerful. And, and frankly is probably more powerful than, than any message that Trump came out with. Cause ultimately Trump, Trump was very much about identifying the problem, but Jordan Peterson's identifying solutions. And I think that this book is going to have a powerful impact. And so, so it's no, it's no coincidence that they decided to, to take this opportunity to try to take him down and smear him. Cause what they're trying to do is smear him as a, uh, as a drug addict. They reported that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and he wasn't. And they're, they're trying to, to, to frame him as, as someone not worthy of credibility, someone who's not serious, someone who's mentally damaged. Uh, they, they focus the interview on on basically Michaela being this overbearing, um, you know, kind of like semi psychotic, like uh, uh, control freak who's dominating him, and he's this feeble, sickly guy who's lost his mind and was suicidal and all this, and that he's a hypocrite and all these other things. There, this is the way that they're trying to frame him because a man like that can't garner the type of support that he's capable of garnering. And the last time that he came on the scene. He he was probably the most important person in the world for a stretch of several months to a couple of years. And I, I have a feeling that that's probably the direction that we're heading again, because there's a lot of right wing energy that doesn't really have an outlet. And I think that that's probably going to present a pretty good one for a lot of people. And it's like a healthier um, outlet because, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people who 
um, if they're listening to this, they're in that place of just like, well, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and, and they're thinking um, politically and strategically. And, you know, that's inter- that's great, I guess. But, you know, it is a spiritual problem, like we've been saying. Uh, so if you ignore the spiritual aspect of it in any capacity, um, you're you're going to lose. And um, that has uh, <clears throat> that has a lot to do with the, the sort of um, kind of closed off perspectives that are starting to really show themselves. Um, you know, in the world of like libertarian talk, podcasts, articles, you know, wh- whatever, um, just like the current sort of thought leaders, you can kind of see who gets it and who doesn't. And um, he, like you said, he's very safe in many ways because, you know, well, he's just a guy just promoting that, you know, you take that men take responsibility and, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, take charge of their families and, um, you know, just become God fearing. And that. That is, they the, the 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 powers that be know that that is, um, those are enemies right there. Those are very formidable enemies beyond um, you know, any um, any political party um, or, or anything like that. You know, you take you you take men and you you show them actually how to be men, and it, not not even in you know the sense of like um, you know oh, guns and you know, whatever else, but just actual true masculine energy. Um, and for all the boys who are listening to this show, you talk to some of the girls that you may know, um, you'll hear from them. It's just like, we need men. We need men. And they mean like actual men. And that's what, um, that's what Jordan Peterson was. That's the energy that he was, um, awakening in people. Um, and yeah, for like, there, there were just, there were some years that he was just like unstoppable right before he got sick. I mean, there was, it was like, I mean, it was a movement. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a, it's like, you can tell who they go after versus who they let slide. And, um, you know, I mean, he couldn't say anything. Um, and I think, you know, I think if you, if you listen to this person with, uh, with any kind of open mind whatsoever, I don't know how anyone could hear this man talk and think, you know, any of the descriptions that um, you would hear these media outlets give about him. It's like, who are you listening to? What do you, this is the, this is just, this is a nice man talking. I mean, he's, he's, he's talking. He, he, I mean, he's certainly giving some sort of like old school, um, you know, perspectives, but like, that's nothing really controversial. It's just, I don't know, just kind of almost, you would think you'd almost view it as like, sort of corny advice, but it's just the <laughs> corny dad advice that like no one's giving, you know, I mean, it's a, I mean, everyone knows his, his thing, you know, clean your room, clean your room. And, and, but the argument that he, you know, where that's extrapolated um, out of is, you know, he's talking about these, these 20 year olds uh, that have no life experience that want to, uh, you know, reimagine entire fucking economies and financial systems, uh, you know, with full confidence that they'll just be better than whatever's going, you know what I mean? That there will be no unforeseen side effects. And it's just like, what does your room look like? Is it a mess? Cause like maybe start there, you know, just get that together. Um, and then, you know, for some, for someone like right now, you know, for like a lot of people who are thinking, Oh, what, what do we do? We can't do anything. We are, blah, blah, blah. You, I don't know. Give it, give it, give it a little old JP. Clean the room. You'll feel better. You know what I mean? It's like you clean your room. You clean another room. 
the kitchen going. You'll feel, uh, you know, more confident, you know, to cook and you'll be eating better food. Then that's going to make you feel better. You can go to the gym. That's going to make you feel real, you know, way better. Um, it, it, it's just, that's the like, that's like the momentum, um, that's needed right now. It's, it's not going to be like a magical political system. There's a, there's a fence around, around the, every like government building. You know, in that, in that, in the, in the, in the capital area. You know what I mean? It's just like, this might not be the time, you know, for, uh, for whatever goofy political solution that you, that, that you're thinking about. But yeah, man, you get your shit together, you know, and we get like an increase in like God fearing, capable men. That's going to do something. Very well said. That's the, uh, that's, there's the, the famous saying it said that, uh, that, um, what is it? It's hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And we're in that you latter stage here. right now. We're in the the yep. weak. We've had weak men for for way too long, and it's and there's a reason for this. There's it's it's this isn't an accident. That's I just I want to keep getting back to that. This isn't an accident, and this kind of gets into the 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 other major thing I wanted to talk about tonight. That the uh, the thing I've been listening to lately is, is more of James Lindsay. We talked about him last time in his, his uh, like, I guess, uh, audio essay or whatever that he did about uh, Antonio Gramsci, who's a famous communist thinker, really a communist theologian, in essence, because it's very much a religion. And another one that he's, he's doing is he's doing a five-part series on uh, Herbert Marcuse's 1965 essay um, about uh, repressive tolerance. And you can find it if you want to read it for yourself. It's very long. It's very long, and it's it's this postmodern communist stuff that's just very, it's it's very difficult to read. And uh, so, so I, I would strongly recommend go to the YouTube channel New Discourses and listen to James Lindsay, as he as he he's got a five part series of him reading through it, and I, like like dewokifying it as he goes, like interpreting what he's saying as he as he goes through it. And as as dense and difficult to get through it as it is, this is this is this is like the most important thing to understand if you want to understand the current left in America, which is really to understand the current power structure in America. Um, but before I get to that, there's one other there's two other stories I wanted to touch on real quick. One of them was um, the story about the Biden administration. And they they uh, there was these these employees who were. I think it was like deputy communications director or something. So they were they were technically political appointees, but they're much further down, kind of lower levels. They were Trump appointed and they're federal employees. And they both there was two different two different ones. One was a woman. And then the other one was a couple who were both uh, political appointees by Trump. And um, both both families were expecting they're both uh, the women were pregnant and they are both due to deliver right around December, January time. And they had both filed ahead of time with I think it was DHS and something else. They had both filed with their 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 departments, their agencies, to get federal on um, their federal health care benefits through, I think from January through March, which is a very typical, it's within kind of the range of what's usually what usually happens. Usually administrations will um will just like they like they don't necessarily have an obligation to recognize the promises of the the agency under this prior leadership, but it's it's standard practice to do so because I mean it's there's there's nothing to be gained by not doing it. It's not like the government doesn't have the money for it. So they'd been they'd had these promises made to them. They they had made plans on they were going to have the baby and they were going to be able to 
um, take the first three or four months of the baby's life to get to know them and, and work with them. One of them had a premature delivery and the baby had some complications. And the Biden administration at the last minute said, no, actually, we're, you know, we're not we're not going to acknowledge the previous what the previous um, administration's departments had promised to you. You're going to get cut loose on the 20th. You lose, you're going to lose all your, your federal benefits then. And in the one family's case, it was both of them. So at least for the one woman, her husband still potentially is like married. She's married. Her husband still has has health care, health insurance somewhere or something like that. Who knows what the situation is? At least there's something to fall back on. The other one, it's both both parents both lose all their benefits all at the same time and the only reason i highlight this is just because um this is another indicator of the trajectory of where we're going where this this is being done if this if it wasn't gratuitously cruel then the administration wouldn't have done it the only reason that they did this was because it was gratuitously cruel and say what you will about how the people shouldn't put themselves in that position they're involved in politics yada yada whatever all i'm highlighting is the fact that this administration is operating with gratuitous cruelty toward federal employees of the previous administration. We're, we're seeing a pattern here. They're, I mean, at the, at the highest level, you've got um, uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are being, I mean, they're just about being politically or just about being criminally pursued by the new administration. They are wanting to impeach. And you know that they're not going to stop with just trying to impeach Trump. They're going to go after him for other stuff, too. They're going to try to go after him criminally as well. So we're getting very, very close to the realm in which the the new uh, administration starts prosecuting the the political the, the, uh, opponent political party. And so this is this is a, a dangerous situation because um, this sort of thing creates a really this 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 will create a. a uh, we'll create blowback eventually and things will continue to escalate. So that was one other story I wanted to highlight. Finally, the last one is not directly related, but just kind of in, in, in passing. Pediatric diabetes is spiking and getting more. It's both spiking and getting more severe. Uh, so this was there was a news article that I, I pulled up here. Uh, this is from ABC News. Uh, doctors seeing increase in pediatric diabetes cases since the pandemic is in Birmingham, Alabama, a new health alert that could impact your children. Doctors are noticing a spike in diabetes, especially in children, since the pandemic started. And so this one woman, her 15-year-old son, was recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Uh, this Dr. Mary Lauren Scott says that since the pandemic, roughly 50% 50, 50 of new pediatric type 1 diabetes patients have been sicker, and more patients are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Quote, we see in a we see in a lot of our type 2 pediatric patients that are being newly diagnosed that a lot of them have had more profound weight gain between virtual school and changes in activity, as well as for some snacking at home. She says type 2 diabetes is more than what you eat. It's mostly genetics. Type 1 has to do with your autoimmune system. And the there's no doubt that this here, and I mean, as the, as the, the article is framing it, that this here is a product of the the response to the pandemic this is these we're, we're going to see much more of this and people have been predicting this for a while so i'm not breaking news here but the 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 long-term health effects of the pandemic are going to wildly outstrip the effects of the actual pandemic itself and that's i mean i, I don't even think at this point that's even like predicting something controversial or 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 it's, it's almost kind of stating the obvious but um it, it, it it also illustrates the effect of fear and the 
the when you surround people in fear energy and negative fear energy, it literally makes them sick. It literally causes physical illness. These guys are so because, I mean, you, you're not going to see all of this just as a product of sitting at home more. There's much more that goes into it than that. You're not going to see a like all the diabetes patients sicker and then also 50 percent more. Um, coming like you're not going to see that whole uh, thing happen just from oh they're eating more snacks at home. This is a product. This is gonna the same thing is happening in other people as well. Mental health is 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 taking a huge hit. People are suffering cognitively, psychologically from this relentless drumbeat of negativity and fear and trauma. And again, this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual problem that has a spiritual solution. You, like I talked about in the last episode, you have to look at these these uh, anchors, these news anchors, these journalists as what they see themselves as. These are literal religious leaders teaching a religion to their constituents. They're conditioning people, teaching them how to relate spiritually to the world. They're bringing spiritual truths to them, teaching them how to live, teaching them how to relate to the world around them teaching them what is truth, teaching them how to think about truth. These, these are all things that they're covering. This is all, this is a church. We are, I, I tweeted yesterday that every state is governed by a church. The whole idea of separation of church and state just made us think that there was a difference and that that changed. That never changed. Every state is governed by a church. And the church that's governing our state right now is it's an it's an atheistic theocracy, or as as Mitch Smallbug likes to say, an atheocracy. We're governed by an atheocracy that's a a, a perversion of of um, of kind of of like of of, of 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 a Protestant denomination. In essence, it's basically an atheistic Protestant denomination that just reformed God out of the picture, and 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 it took as as a it, it was with the Enlightenment. They 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 sucked God eventually out of the picture altogether. They reformed all these other things as they left the Catholic Church and each successive denomination came out and reformed a new thing away from the the previous denomination. They eventually it was inevitable that they would get to the point where they would reform God out of the picture altogether. And it happened after the Enlightenment, which happened upon the idea that there's a spark of divinity in every man, everyone, every in in all of men. There's everyone has a spark of divinity in them, and that was taken to the elevation of the individual. When you talk about free will, it's they're they're talking about um, they they they're eventually basically sanctifying human beings. They're sanctifying people in their in their free will. That they that everyone we have to respect everyone's right to choose. This is you get to to modern pol- politics from this too. But it's it's this this deification of the individual will. And ultimately, they reformed God out of the picture and replaced it with the individual will. And this is why it's even taken over the taken over the church now, which we talked about last week or in their last episode. Um, that Gramsci specifically said this has to happen if you want if you want the communist revolution, if you want the communist utopia, you have to take over the religion. And they they stripped God from the head of the church and instead placed the individual that we have to we have to. Um, allow human beings we have to allow people to pursue their own meaning and to 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 take on um whatever it is that makes them happy they have to pursue happiness this is the greatest the greatest end of man is to pursue his own pleasure all of these sorts of things is all a product of the enlightenment and that's the church that we now um exist under this is the church that governs 
our state today. It's a it's a, a Protestant. It's a perverted Protestant denomination with the the individual self as its God rather than God, whatever you want to consider God to be. They've substituted it for the individual human will. So that brings us back to to the Marcusa essay. Stephen, do you have anything else you want to tag on to that? Oh, just interesting kind of tie in that, uh, you know, that Jordan Peterson is over here promoting both family and maybe a, maybe a little bit of God thrown in there too. Um, you know, and those were, those were two of the pillars that, you know, uh, were explicitly instructed to be destroyed. Right. That's why, and that's why they go after him. You can see that if he, if there wasn't much to what he had to say, there would be no reason to go after him in the way that they do. The fact that they go after him the way he does proves to you the power of his message, that they see him as a threat. So that means whatever he's talking about, it's kind of like you can you can predict what your actions should be based on the actions of your enemies. So if you were in an, if you were, had an, an army and you were marching on another army and you saw them fortifying a particular area, like you and you spied on, you saw them fortifying a particular area. Then, I mean, number one, I guess maybe that's a trap, but most likely that's their greatest vulnerability. That's their area where you would you 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 might obviously there's different strategies. You might not want to attack there directly, but you now know that they're fortifying this area. That means that's their vulnerability. That's where they're weakest. So the fact that they're attacking him in this area, they're attempting to fortify, they're attempting to rally their troops and focus on this specific thing. There must be something to what he's saying. And and it just so happens that that Gramsci, like you said, Gramsci points that out. He says, if you want, if we want to achieve this this communist utopia, we have to take over the religion. So that's kind of that's why I wanted to, to basically wrap things up today was with this conversation about Marcuse's repressive tolerance idea. And like I said, he wrote this article in 1965 and this essay. And Marcuse was a uh, was a communist. Obviously, he was part of the Frankfurt School, which were all. Um, communists who they were postmodern communists essentially who um, who who basically got to they they brought this intellectual um, they created this intellectual cabal sort of to to reason through the the events of throughout the throughout the the, the rise of communism and the various the, the 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 Russian Revolution and one of the things that they identified was the fact that Marx had predicted that the the communists that the the, when the proletariat would rise up and they would overthrow the capitalist system, that this, that the, the, the inevitable communist revolutions would happen in the industrial societies. And the only place that it happened and that it was successful was a peasant society in Russia. And they were like, oh, hold on, this doesn't make sense. Why is, why is this, this, this wasn't what Marx had predicted. You know, what's going on here? So they started thinking through all this. And this is where you ultimately got this idea of critical theory. And critical theory is applied to, to all these different domains. But from critical theory is where you get an intersectionality and which is this 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 oppression Olympics victimhood hierarchy that uh, it, that everything is this postmodern idea that everything comes down to power and that um, people are oppressed by the status quo. And in order to have a just system, you have to first eliminate all oppression. You have to eliminate all evil. There cannot be oppression anywhere within the society for you to have a just system. And it was within this idea that that Marcuse addressed Karl Popper's um, to tolerance paradox. And um, for those of you who aren't immediately familiar with it, you can just look up Karl Popper and tolerance. But basically, he addressed this idea that you you have to be 
Matthew is oppressing them by calling me the other host. You are the other host, Stephen. I'm otherizing you. Um, tolerance is a uh, there's there's a paradox of tolerance here because if you tolerate intolerance, that's a very quick way to getting yourself destroyed. If people are intolerant of you and you tolerate them, that that can be dangerous. You know, so how do you address this? How do you deal with this? And I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail with it. You can go read the essay. You can listen to James Lindsay's uh, breakdowns of this, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. This is absolutely essential that you need to go to the New Discourses YouTube channel and look up James Lindsay. It's, I think he's done three of them. It's like his most recent three videos when you're watching this at, on uh, on Wednesday night. The uh, those three videos, he is, is – Marcuse's position is literally that – we must be tolerant to everything, to all new ideas, because new ideas are where, um, where, where progressivism comes from. Progressivism is all about the new, all about what's possible, all about what currently isn't. The right and conservatives and, um, and, and order and hierarchy, all of that deals with what already is. The progressives are interested in what could be. They're interested in they're looking forward to utopias and they're trying to bring in new ideas. Conservatives, right wing people are suspicious of new ideas. Left-wing people are suspicious of established hierarchies or suspicious of established ideas. They see the the, the oppression and and the uh, they see the all the negative aspects of the existing status quo. The right sees all of the potential dangers in any new ideas. So if you imagine it in just kind of like a imagine like a bunch of people sitting around a campfire, and the light of the campfire extends out only so far, and then it's just blackness beyond there. The right wing people would be the people who are like, we need to stay as close to the fire as possible because the fire is safety and we can see the best here. And, you know, there's nothing you know, we have to know for sure that there's uh, that, that, that we're, we give ourselves the maximum uh, leeway and buffer to defend ourselves from anything that comes out there. The from from out there, the left wing people would be the people who say we don't know what's immediately out beyond our vision. We need to go check. We need to go be pushing out and, and, and expanding our barriers and. And uh, and reaching out and trying to find new ideas because the the new idea that changes the world could be right around the corner. It could be just right outside our view. And if we just push our view out just a little bit, we might find that new idea. This is me trying to trying to steal man their position, um, trying to treat their position as as if it's as well, with as much legitimacy as possible. So what Marcusa says is quite literally that we must have tolerance for all new ideas. In essence, we must have tolerance for the left wing, and we must have intolerance, repressive tolerance for all right wing ideas, for all established ideas, because what he's accepting as fact and what he's defending is that the status quo is, by definition, oppressive, that a capital because the status quo is capitalist and Christian. And this is a little early for, for the, the race thing, kind of, because it was the 60s. So the race race consciousness was kind of just starting to come up. But. But ultimately, that's where you get the the patriarchy, the um, white supremacy. All of this stuff is all rooted from they're, they're saying that the status quo is oppressive. The status quo oppresses people. And for you to engage with the status quo, to give it any deference or to even just ignore it. So people who say, I don't want to take a side. They are endorsing the status quo. They are supporting the status quo and they are aligning themselves with oppression. So so literally his position and this is the position this has been probably one of the most influential um, essays in the last century. 
This is the, the entire left operates from his perspective now, which is you must tolerate everything left wing and you must be intolerant toward everything right wing. It's explicit hypocrisy. It's explicit, an explicit double standard. The point is the double standard. And the reason for that is, as Stephen has been alluding tonight, is because it's fantastic for consolidating power. There's this idea that Nassim Taleb has that, that societies are governed by the intolerant minorities. Everyone has to build around the person who plants themselves there and says, I'm not going to be moved. Build around me. An example of this that he uses is, is um, there's kosher labels on basically every form of food, even though only a very small fraction of the country is, eats kosher. This, this is the type of thing that people, they're, they're, they're like, if your thing is, so, if, uh, someone who's kosher says, if your thing doesn't, I, I don't know for sure that it's kosher, I'm not going to stop at your store. The person who doesn't care, doesn't care. So the store, the institution is ultimately going to cater to the person who cares, to the person who takes a position, who adopts a position, says, I'm not going to be moved. So ultimately, it's the, as, as Nassim Taleb says, it's the intransigent minority who, <laughs> I was talking about the people, uh-oh, as, as Hotep Jesus calls them, the redacted. Um, he keeps his YouTube channel, so I'll just keep mimicking whatever he does, and hopefully I'll keep it. I've never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> well, you've never hilarious. heard that? Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. The redacted. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, oh, shit. So, so that's, so it's the, this is, Nassim Taleb says it's the intransigent minority that, that rules the world, that governs the world. And so left wing people, their explicit position is we have to be hypocrites. We can only be, in order for us to achieve our utopia, we have to destroy the status quo. We have to destroy this capitalist order. What's very interesting is a lot of, in that essay, a lot of Marcuse's arguments are pretty similar to a lot of libertarian arguments. Basically, he's anti-war, and uh, he's, he's, he, he talks about how the system is fundamentally oppressive. He's saying democratic systems are fundamentally oppressive. A lot of libertarians would agree with that. They would say this, this democratic system of government is fundamentally oppressive. It's, it's, you know, voting is oppression, voting is theft, voting is slavery, whatever people want to say. A lot of them actually believe that. They kind of, they would agree with him on that point. And so what he's saying is that because it's oppressive, we can't just accept it. It doesn't matter how good we think it might be. It doesn't matter how easy we think our lives might be. People are being oppressed by the system and we must not tolerate it. We must not stand for it. The right wing are the people who endorse the system or who want to expand the system. We need to, the, the institutions, the institutional system, and we need to be intolerant to them. And only by being completely intolerant to the institutions, the, the, the status quo, only by being intolerant to it can we ever achieve a point where we can actually be practice tolerance. Because we can only practice tolerance once we've achieved justice. Once we've achieved um, the, the eradication of he, he actually says something like the eradication of all fear and and all like all fear and hate or something along those lines that basically their goal is to eradicate fear even. And until you've eradicated fear, you cannot rest. You cannot you cannot be tolerant of any part of the establishment, any part of the of the status quo. So. As I was, I, I kind of went on a rant last night with Stephen, talking to him and, and Stephen and Jason in our, our chat that we have. And one thing that that stood out to me about this is, well, first, okay, so first of all, 
Um, actually, no, I'll, I'll get to that one here in just a minute. The in respect, what I wrote here was um, the right assumes that the left. Oh no, I got to go further up than that. Um, uh, it's okay. very good. Okay. Whenever he, whenever he gets to it, folks. Yes, it yes, is, it is good. Uh, it's a pretty. I it's took a bunch. I took a bunch of screenshots, and they say. all look the same. Um, okay, oh, here it is. Man. So, so the, the this is kind of this is the position of the right. This is kind of the the um, overall speaking in broad strokes. This is the position of the right. Our society has institutions which are governed by elites and which are granted power, which gives them the ability to enforce their will and protect themselves from consequences. This is good. It's the best way to maximize human flourishing. The stability of society depends upon it. This is the the basically the fundamental right wing psychology. Left wing psychology. It's the exact same thing with a couple differences. Our society has institutions which are governed by elites and which are granted power, which gives them the ability to enforce their will and protect themselves from consequences. This is bad. It's the worst way to maximize human flourishing and we must dismantle the institutions. So in a democratic system, then the inevitable endpoint of the left is communism. This is this is a, a a an anthropological inevitability. They will always wind up with communism, and the right will always wind up with fascism because the it's it's just it's just if you if you're running like if you're running simulations here, this is where you're always going to wind up. Where eventually you're going to reach the point where violence is has to be used because each side sees the other as an existential threat to their values. And we're, what we're seeing now is we're seeing these lines being drawn between the two sides where people are reaching a point where they're like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to compromise any further here. And the, uh, there's, there's probably an irony here kind of to some people that might see is that these, these, these communists, those, these, the left, these radical people who are, who are increasingly authoritarian, they, talk about how the institutions are oppressive, the status quo is oppressive, yet they are the status quo. They govern the status quo. They have, the, they have every institution by the balls. And the reason for this is exactly what I want to highlight here, because they fight to win. They want to dismantle this system. They want to dismantle all of these institutions. They're focused on their end goal. And for them, the ends justify any means possible. So, yeah, these this system is oppressive. This this system they they think that by existing you're oppressing them. So of course they feel entitled to take over the institutions and beat the hell out of you with them. Because just by existing you are creating oppression. The system by its very nature is oppressive. And to tolerate it, to 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 assume the best in other people, to assume that people have noble motives is to endorse an oppressive system. This is the psychology that has been built into them because the people who Marcusa was was speaking to and the people who are reading him and the people who are learning from him were the ones who were populating the universities. Again, back to Gramsci. They knew that they need to take over the institutions and all of society descends from education. Education is how one generation imparts knowledge to the next. If you can take over the institutions, these people are playing the long game. If you can take over the educational institutions, you'll control the future generations. So what I said to, to Stephen yesterday was that um, if you had the opportunity to, I said, imagine having an opportunity to command a band of rabidly ideological utopians 
who see themselves as possessing a mandate to do whatever is necessary to destroy or to dismantle every institutional power structure in the world. And this band explicitly denies the very concepts of logic, rationality, reason, and existence itself even. And they have nothing to lose and effectively no talent to ever accomplish anything outside of your patronage. So imagine you're the elites, you're the ruling class. And you've conditioned these people, this, this band of people, the bio-Leninism concept we talked about last on, in, on Sunday's episode. Go back and listen to Sunday's episode for, for the talk about bio-Leninism. But that's these, the, the shock troops for the communists are the people who have nothing to lose, the dregs of society, the people who are ugly, who are stupid, who are disabled or are incompetent. Like, for whatever reason, they see themselves as not having any opportunity. They see themselves as not being able to get ahead. And they're the ones who are the easiest to convince that this society is fundamentally, that the system is fundamentally oppressive. Look at you. Look, you, you know, you're, you have to, to scrap for a living. You know, you're having to fight evil Republicans to try to get a, a, a welfare check so that you can just so you can survive. This is a very easy message to preach to these people. And you turn them into your ideological shock troops. They're pursuing utopia. And they see themselves as having a mandate to destroy the institutions, and they're perfectly justified in doing so. Not only are they justified in doing so, they're like they're on a crusade. They're on a holy crusade to bring about heaven on earth. What would you do if you were, say, a billionaire philanthropist or CEO or uh, a, a lifer? in the in the the deep state or whatever these power hungry people if you had these people at your disposal and you understood the way that you can condition and brainwash and indoctrinate these people and the way that you can turn and sick them on any target that you want what would you do if you had that power at your disposal i said would you direct it at everyone and everything who could ever potentially challenge your own status and once you've used your army to destroy all challengers, would you have any reason to preserve your army? How would you do so in order to prevent them from ever destroying you? No wonder the elites love communism. Because communism gives them a frickin' army of people who will lap up their every word and, and, and march on any enemy you direct them at, all the while thinking that they are actually in control of the situation, that they're actually changing something. They think that they're actually dismantling the system and they've been deceived into directly endorsing and enhancing and supporting it. This is this profound irony. But because they've completely divorced themselves from reality explicitly, because reality is oppressive. They're creating their own, as, as, as James Lindsay calls it, he goes with the pseudo reality. They're creating a false reality. They're creating a pseudo reality. So there, there, it's like there's no, there's no uh, real world feedback that's going to make a difference to them. They're just going to listen to whoever feeds what they, whoever tells them what they want to hear and feeds their biases. So they, they, they're, these are, these are, these things are all, um, just like if you ran simulations of human nature, you would eventually wind up with this scenario where the ideas of postmodernism, postmodernism and communism would be developed and would be put together and formulated in this way. And where you would have these, these, these global elites who many of them, if you trace back, if you look at the events of the, of the, the 20th century and you look at the people who have the bulk of the wealth and power in the world now, the central bankers 
if I can get away with saying that, you will see that there is many direct ideological ties to communism. These people are ideologically communist. And now one of Marcuse's doctoral uh, students or one of one of his, uh, he was the advisor for, I believe her name is Angela Brown. She was one of the, the, the like actually was actually like convicted of terrorism. She, uh, there was, there was people, I think they robbed a bank or something and they used her guns and she served time in prison. And she's now like one of the leading minds funding and supporting Black Lives Matter. I was going to look up all of her details beforehand, but you just take my word for it. Angela Davis, I believe is her name. And she just look up uh, uh, Herbert Marcuse and he was a doctoral advisor to the lady in Black Lives Matter. If you look up those things, you'll come up with her. And she uh, so now today she's one of the the, the, the the foremost influences behind Black Lives Matter, which between George Floyd's death and the end of the year this last year, Black Lives Matter took, I believe, 13 billion dollars in donations, 13 billion dollars in donations. Black Lives Matter is one of the largest organizations in the U.S. It's massive. And it's a direct financial funding for the Democrat Party. But anyway, so so this Angela Davis, who's a direct line to Marcusa, she's one of the leading minds behind behind Black Lives Matter, who's one of so so in effect then she is one of the most influential people in one of the most influential organizations in the world that is right at the tip of the spear that's driving forward this narrative that's pushed like if I had to put together a short list of the people who I think would call up AOC and say, hey, Go to a live stream, say that you were raped, talk about this. Angela Davis would be one of those people like this. This is the these are the people who govern the world. These are the people who run the world. And somehow. Libertarians and conservatives who can't can't go an episode without shitting on them. Libertarians and conservatives think that pointing out to these people that they're hypocrites is going to change something. This is the dynamic and you think that telling them they're hypocrites is going to change something. This is the reason you lose. This is the reason that we lose. And this is where your principles mean diddly squat. In the world of politics, <laughs> in the world of politics, this is a zero sum game of power. And you may say, oh, it's not all about power. There's more things in the world than power. But the people who want to destroy you, and destroy the society that you depend on, destroy the institutions around you, the people who would gladly roll your body into a ditch and not think otherwise, they believe everything is all about power. And that absolutely everything that they do either reinforces the existing institution or dismantles it. They're forcing you into a decision where you, you cannot coexist with them. They have decided that they will not be tolerant of people who endorse the system and not taking a position is endorsing the system. It's just a matter of time before they gain the power to roll you into a ditch. It's, 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 an, it's an inevitability. Unless people start truly understanding the nature of what's going on here and they start taking steps to insulate themselves, to protect themselves from this. And to somehow, here's where I don't have an answer for this, but to somehow form together organizations that can fight back against this sort of force. Because we're, we're talking like, this is the way that you wind up with the Great Leap Forward. 
and with the Khmer Rouge and all of these different things. This is how you wind up with it is through this exact same set of circumstances, except now, as James Lindsay, to refer to him again, as he's pointed out, he said Leninism was Leninism 1.0, Stalin was Leninism 2.0, Mao was Leninism 3.0, and he calls this woke, or wokeism, was Leninism 4.0. So they've been practicing. And again, they play the long game. They plan for this for generations. They've been practicing. And they've just about perfected the science. They've just about perfected it. So now you should be able to understand why the institutions are glad to play along with this, because they realize that, number one, it's the best way to keep these people from going after you. But number two, they're very easy to take control of because they're they're literally insane. They're completely divorced from reality. And they're just emotionally charged, like rabid lemmings who will chase after whatever they're directed to. So they're the perfect way for people to consolidate power, for people who have power to gain more of it, to consolidate it, and to protect themselves from anyone who might come after them. The first thing that the elites want to do is they want to wipe out the middle class because the middle class are potential elites. They're future elites. So you have to wipe them out to ensure that they're not going to undermine you, that they're not going to take your status, that they're because status is a zero-sum game, that you're not going to take their status and take their wealth. So they they weaponize the lower class to take out the middle class. Once that's done, once the middle class is gone, all you have is the elites and the lower class. Well, then you start you start stripping off the elites who don't who aren't playing ball, the, the the elites who aren't going to join in your cabal, and you take this this these this army of misfits, this army of Looney Tunes, and you start sicking it on each successive band of the elites that you can peel off and isolate and strip away. Wipe them out, undermine them, destroy them, take their capital, and move your way on up until eventually all that's left is you and your army. And then, I don't know, you destroy your army or you just keep them pacified and you put them in the stable to bring out anytime someone else steps out. This is, this is the, the inevitable trajectory of society in a democratic system. This is where it will always wind up. And we're at an hour and a half now, and this is about as long as I wanted to go today. I've, I've kind of taken you right to the cusp of where you know, we called the show King Pilled. This is, this is how, kind of how we wind up at the King Pill, realizing the inevitability of this sort of a system. This is how democratic societies play themselves out. This is how they always have, and this is how they always will. You always wind up with a cabal of people who, will, who are literally hell-bent on they're, they're like the people who are sitting on a branch and they're reaching back in toward the trunk and they're chopping out the branch away from them between them and the trunk. And everyone else is like everyone else is sitting out on the trunk with them as well. And you're all going to crash and burn unless you can either stop them from chopping it off, throw them off the branch or somehow get between them and the trunk. So it's like this is this is just the nature of this sort of a system. And it's it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And, and, and right wing people want to create a system. They want to engineer a solution that they can just set up and let it run in the background and they don't have to watch it. They don't have to worry about it. That's why they say things like, oh, well, if the, Const the Constitution would be just fine if people were, were trained and educated to, to believe in it and understand the point of it and everything. Okay, well, what educational institutions do you control? Oh, none? None of them? We're right on the cusp of homeschooling being outlawed? So how's that working out for you? Apparently, you don't even believe in the Constitution because you haven't even actually been trying to do anything to actually preserve it. It's not preservable.
because you don't understand culture. You don't understand how people think. You don't understand how systems like this develop. You don't understand the way political systems evolve. You don't understand the inevitability of these things. This is, this is where this type of system gets you. You, constitutional republics are a great idea in practice, but this is the inevitability of them. They're a great idea in theory, but this is the inevitability of them in practice. Communism is the inevitable outcome of every single democratic system. No matter how you set it up, no matter how you rig it, the nature of human human societal organization is that it will always wind up with communism. And that is why we urge you to take the king pill. I just want to say that I think everyone who's listening to this is uh, very smart and uh, they definitely get it. Um, you know, so when uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the nice one for the constitutional conservatives there and the, and, or well, the, I'm, I'm just going to just talk less shit, but my, be- my meatballs are ready. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm cooking sweet potatoes too right here. Honey, it's delicious. Um, yeah. You know, you, you were talking about like the hypocrisy and you're kind of like talking about, well, if you don't see this, you don't see this. It's probably the friends of people who are listening to this. I think everyone who's listening to this might get it. Or maybe someone put you onto it, you know, and said like, listen to these two talk and maybe it'll, you know, challenge your constitutional conservative or libertarian, bluish, pildish, libertarian ways. Um, but I, I guess the the hypocrisy is good, like a good first step, um, you know, to sort of wake people up. You know, that's pretty good. Um, but then eventually you, you kind of get to the point of just like, yeah, well, if I was just like a, a sociopath and I didn't want to follow any rules, I would just uh, ascend whatever hierarchy I could to not, um, to not have to follow fucking rules because I don't want to. Um, and, you know, if you start looking at it like that, it starts to make a little bit more sense and, you know, kind of, um, well, why doesn't the system work? Well, isn't it supposed to work like this? It doesn't seem to. Um, and you kind of can start going down that road. Uh, for the for the Constitution, I just wanted to say this much. Um, particularly, for co- the Constitution and anyone who would consider themselves like a constitutional conservative, there's just such a fantastic podcast by an anonymous lawyer who goes through – uh, different bits of the Constitution, and just kind of points out why things don't work like, quote unquote, they're supposed to, and the and like maybe they were really never su- even supposed to work out um, the way that that a lot of constitutional conservatives um, you, know, you know think that that they were, and really um, you know the constitutional conservatives those are people that are sort of right on the borderline uh, who would. If they could just see through, like the BS, and not not be brainwashed, um, those are the people that might really be great uh, allies um, in the co- in, in the cause of having enough numbers to even be in a position to consider what could be done um, to counter some of some of this stuff. But you know, there are people that really do think the Constitution is going to uh, save them, and you know, unfortunately, we've seen just time and time again, it, it's not. It's an anomaly when it when it does anything. You know, to to um to move things in that direction, or re- more realistically, to keep things from crumbling as fast as um you know they are in the other direction. Um, but anyway, the podcast is the Quash. He's a he's a lawyer. He's anonymous, and he just goes through. I mean, 
what I mean, the Fourteenth Amendment never being ratified, uh, why the First Amendment is bullshit, or the Second Amendment, or why the Supreme Court is BS. You know, just just every little piece of it. That if you if you know someone who's just married to these ideas, um, and you know can't understand the hypocrisy, he just pulls the veil back on the whole system, and sort of sort of shows how it actually works with examples, and it's it's just brilliant. And it might be. Um, either for you if you listen to this or a friend of yours that you're frustrated with, it might be something that um, just further opens either yours or their eyes. And he might, in the future, who knows, be willing to talk to the boys here. Yes. So go listen to some episodes of The Quash, why don't you? Mr. Messina here has been lining us up some uh, some interviews for at whatever point. I told him that, that uh, I, I can't wait to do these interviews, and so that is motivating me to try to work on things like, you know, getting, like, a logo and, and like, getting our getting a setup on Libsyn and, like, actually turning it into a podcast, not just a YouTube stream and all these other, all these other things that you know, most people do this before they start the podcast, and I, we're just like, yeah, hey, whatever, we're just going to start, start streaming stuff. No way. <laughs> Flying yeah. by the seat of our pants. As you can see, we're, uh, we're not one for, we're not really one for conventions here. The way that we uh, the way that we do all this, we you know like I, I berate our audience. I, yeah, I love it. That's so good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're gonna show up here for a beating. I'll give you a tongue lashing. <laughs> you're gonna like it. You're gonna like it. Yeah, you're gonna come back for like more. Jordan Peterson with better hair and less tact. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and a better beard too. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, that's about all that I all that I've got here. I'm a I'm also I made the mistake of wearing like two long sleeve shirts, and there's no air in this room that I'm in, so I'm just absolutely broiling. And I got myself all worked up about all this stuff because I I I'm very uh I'm I'm passionate about this stuff because it's 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 really coming together for me. It's it's starting to really coalesce itself in my head, and it's giving me kind of a clear picture of of what's coming next. Like you, you can, once you start seeing this, it's kind of like you're seeing the code in the matrix and you can start predicting what's going to happen. And then, and it's just seeing how many people who like, it's, it's one thing incompetent people don't bother me as much as incompetent people who think they're the smart people in the room. Like that's, that's just what that, oh, that grinds my gears. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of brain power on the right that's being just completely wasted by people who are, who are believing, I, I, I'll be harsh, they're believing fairy tales. Like the, the Constitution is a fairy tale. The Constitution is a letter to Santa Claus. It's, you're, you're dealing with people who believe that reality is oppressive and don't think logic exists. They think that two plus two equals five is as equally legitimate to two plus two equals four. And then it all comes down to someone's lived experience. And you think some words on a paper written by some guys 300 years ago is going to have any bearing on them? Like the only way it's going to have any bearing on them is if you personally have the power to beat them into submission. That's the only way that the Constitution has any bearing is if you use force, you yourself, if you and the people who believe what you do, if you maintain power at all costs and you enforce the Constitution. That's the only way that it works. And, of course, anyone who believes in the Constitution right now is like, oh, well, you can't do that. Now you're, you're seeing this fundamental contradiction. You have to violate the Constitution to save the Constitution. It's the, the, uh, the idea of, of government. Right-wing people assume too much of, 
left-wing people. They assume that they, they're, 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 they, they assume what like they mean. Well, they, they want to assume that the people going up against them are decent and honorable and that you're going to, they believe in this narrative of how we're going to, you know, we're all going to, instead of coming together and fighting, we're going to come together and we're going to sit down and we're going to hash out our differences. And we're one person presents one side, one person presents the other side. And, and you know, they think they, they're, they buy into this democratic idea that, ma- that majority rules and majorities never rule. Majorities, it's just they never, ever, 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 ever. Majorities have never ruled and they never will because human humans don't organize themselves that way. Minorities always rule. So just because the vast majority of people are docile and, and just go along to get along and are just easygoing and just kind of want to live in a prosperous society or whatever, just because that's the majority of people. And because like theoretically, if they all were to mount power together, they could accomplish a lot. They just never do. That's never how they work. The majority of people do what they're told by whoever has power. So if you want to influence the world in a particular direction, if you believe in a constitution and you want to live in a constitutional republic, the only way that works is if you hold on to power at all costs and you never give it up. And obviously that's opening a can of worms. Like you, if you're going to hold on to power at all costs and never give it up, you know, you might have to do some things that are kind of unconstitutional, but, but now we're dealing with this paradox of power that, you know, it's all about power and you have to maintain it. And if you don't, there will always be people who want to see you destroyed who won't let themselves be bound by your principles. So you binding yourself by your principles is just a signal to them that you're going to lay your head on the chopping block for them. And that's the position that I'm watching the right wing like in America moving itself into. And we'll, in a future episode, we'll talk more about kind of the difference between left wing and right wing. And I know there's a lot of like libertarian type people who, who like to think, oh, well, left wing and right wing are both wrong and you have to be in the middle or something like that. And, and we'll, we'll go into why that's, you know, why that's BS and why, um, why, why the left is always wrong and the right is always right. Why the, the, the right is called the right for a reason. And this isn't something that I've always believed, but it's something that, um, I've, I've come to believe, uh, without reservation. I think that there's a very clear, I think there's a biological, there's an anthropological, there's a spiritual reason for why that's the case. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I've become very unabashedly right wing. And that's why you'll see in this show that we are very unabashedly right wing. There's a reason for it. There's a philosophy behind it. And that's kind of the idea of our show is to is to lay all of that out. So uh, anyways, do you have anything else to add, Stephen? Yes. Right wing extremists is uh, is what the, the, the subtitle <laughs> of, uh, of King Phil told us for our podcast. We Maybe thought we it would be a good marketing that. choice. King Phil, right wing extremists. I, I'm just, I just want to be a little bit of a a little bit more of a tease than even I usually am <laughs> since I've been teasing a little bit, but, um, liberal Steve tease. Mm. <laughs> liberal <laughs> Steve is the opposite of a tease. Uh, but, um, yeah, you know, it's just, you're talking about, um, you're talking about this strategy, right? And I was talking to another guy who I've been fascinated with, uh, lately, just kind of watching the goings on. He's, he's a very busy boy lately. And I, I messaged him. I said, you know, your timeline is very refreshing. Because, I, you know, I kind of see you over here doing this. I see you over there doing that. You're, you're, at, you're at this institute, but you're doing stuff with this party. Can you give me, you know, can you maybe just explain, give me like a mission statement of what you got going on with any of this stuff? Like, you know, one of them, all of them. And he wrote me back and he said, yeah, win. Oh. He, wa- he wants to win. And I was just like, man, 
music come talk, ears. and he said yes too. So another, uh, just another, another fun guest potentially that when we get a logo and uh, um, an actual podcast, that you know, be coming right to you, fine listeners. We're gonna have some really great conversations on this here show. I just, and lastly, last thing we do before we go here, I want to highlight what Capo Criminal. Oh, I cr- Criminal cr- Capo Crimini Seven. Capo Criminal. I don't know what his name is. Some one of our uh, esteemed listeners. I'll. I'll try to limit my insulting of our listeners here. Um, <laughs> he says, having principles and values limits your options. Not having values and principles gives you an advantage. That's exactly it. Your principles are your greatest weakness in politics. Politics is not a game for principles. You can't have them. I don't care what you say. If you take principles, well, the one principle you need to have is not to have principles. This is like I was saying last time. You have to treat each situation on its own. You don't need to come up with a solution for every possible situation like that. Deal with the solution for the situation that's right in front of you. Come up with a solution for that situation. Survey the options that are available to you right now in this situation. And pick the option that gives you the outcome that you would prefer, the best possible outcome for that situation, realistically speaking. That'll take you to another situation. Do the exact same thing with that. This is this is this is the way that that the people who want to destroy you. This is the way that they act. They they take each situation on its face. This is why they've destroyed the ideas of logic and and principles and all of that. If you're going to engage with them, you 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 have to operate. You're you're already operating on their playing field. You have to start operating on their playing field according to the rules of their game, not the rules of the game you think you're playing, but the rules of the game you're actually playing. You're on their territory. You're on their turf. This is a game they dominate, they control, they dictate the rules. So the formal rules of the game, the ones that you think you're playing, those are not the those are not the ones. Those are not the rules you're playing by. You're playing by the rules they've established. And the rules they've established is that principles are weakness. And weakness gets you destroyed. And what good is your worldview, what good is your values, what good is your principles if practicing them extinguishes them? If you make yourself extinct by practicing your values, then who? Then, then you actually don't really care about your values because you're not seeking to preserve them. You're, you're doing things that predictably will get them extinguished. So you're functionally indistinguishable from the people who are actively hostile to your values. You're actively participating in the destruction of your values. So that's my, I guess that's my takeaway for today is, Deal with each situation, like I said last time, deal with each situation as you get it and uh, act to preserve your values, preserve the values of your um, the society you want to live in, the things that you that you value, your children, your, your wife, your, your husband, your family, whatever. Act to preserve them and 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 don't don't put yourself in a bad situation. You've got there's people out there who want to destroy you and don't put yourself in that situation and uh, listen to Jordan Peterson and read his book. Get his book. If you haven't read 12 Rules for Life, go read it. Uh, if you have, go read it again and prepare for Beyond Order and then read that one as well. And then in the show notes for, for this here in the, the um, down below the video, I will put a link to the New Discourses page where James Lindsay is, is doing these videos. I'll put a link to the, the um, Marcusa uh, uh, essay and whatever else I come up with that's, that's relevant to this. And um, once again, please uh, like this video and share it and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. We'll be going live again. Pretty soon I'll be able to stream on Facebook again, and so we'll probably go live to both at the same time because um, it's fancy like that. And, uh, yeah, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been King Pilled, 
He is Steve, liberal Steve, and I am not liberal Matt. We will talk to you guys next time. Peace.